Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Robert Winfrey here, and I'm going to be running you down through the action, previewing the new stuff, and talking news. And there's a couple of pretty big news pieces that came out over the last week or so. Um, You might not, because they're not really imminently fight-related, you might have missed them, but uh, we're going to talk about them because they're pretty big. Could be pretty big deals going forward. So, uh, review first of all of UFC 256, which was a great card. Uh, I mean, not, I shouldn't say not perfect, because I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect card. I don't think I had any complaints about that event. Uh, pretty much almost from start to finish. It was a really good card. Uh, our last card of the year, the last UFC event for 2020, will co- take place next Saturday. UFC and ESPN plus 41. There are currently 15 fights scheduled for that card, and I kind of want to die. But we'll have a quick look through that card. Uh, and... Yeah, then again, some of the news things that have come out. Uh, yeah, that's what we've got. Okay. Let's go ahead and jump into UFC 256. Uh, really, again, before I get into it any deeper, start to finish, I don't think there was a bad fight on this entire card. Okay, there was one. Even then it wasn't... Even then it wasn't bad. It was more relative to the rest of the card. It was probably the worst fight, but that's not a that's not a big knock on this event. So main event. Oh boy, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno fought to a majority draw after five rounds. Scores were as follows: there was a 48-46 for Figueredo, and then two 47-47 draws. The the reason this came about was the third round. In the third round, in the course of throwing a kick, Figueredo kicked Brandon Moreno with a front kick into the crotch. It was a pretty bad groin shot. Uh, Moreno was down on the ground for about two minutes. Uh, He did a lot of coughing. He retched a few times. But ultimately was able to continue. Now, one of the criteria for determining whether or not a referee should take a point is, in fact, severity of the foul. You know, uh, it's one of the reasons that, uh, like, on the first fight of the night, there were a couple of low blows from both men. I think they each scored one. Uh, but neither was debilitating in that sense. This was a pretty bad one. And the ref took a point from Figueredo. There had been an uh, there had been an accidental eye poke earlier as well in that same round, if memory serves. Figueredo just uh, you know hitting a technical get up from his back after Moreno took him down, and finger just went in the eye. Uh, unf- neither was intentional, but between the two in the same round and the severity of the groin shot, uh, the referee took a point. I've seen some people get upset about that. Honestly, I'm not. Uh, I don't know that I would have if I were the referee in there, but it does not strike me at all as being 
egregious as being, you know, something that uh, calls for a lot of scorn. Uh, it was a bad groin kick. It was the second foul of the round overall. And the referee did what he thought was correct. You know, Figueredo didn't complain about it after the fight. I mean, he was asked about it. He said, now the ref's just doing his job. I don't have anything else to say. So, most of the pe- a lot of the people who were really pissed about this are the ones who lost money. You see, uh, anytime a fight goes to a draw, if you're the if if you're the you know the bookie or the website or whatnot, whatever, if you're the one handling the action, gambling action in that case, uh, yeah, that's a good night for you. <laughs> that's a really good night for you because you just get to they, they all lost. If you didn't bet on the draw, you lost. <laughs> so, uh, um, this was a great fight. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to get too distracted by the silliness of some people being annoyed about losing money. This fight is probably going to, for a lot of people, it might be their fight of the year. And I, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, I don't know that it'll wind up being mine, but. I don't think it's wrong to say this was the best fight of 2020. Uh, the pace these two fought at was nuts. It, uh, this was the highest combined total strike count in flyweight history. Uh, the fifth round dropped off. First four rounds... Uh, I mean, this was nuts. You had Figueredo. Figueredo is... He's certainly beatable, but he is a monster, man. He's got power. He's got good reflexes. He's pretty good about kind of faking and fainting his way close. Uh, one thing a lot of us, happily include myself in this, we all underestimated his ability to manage distance. He's really good about figuring out where he's just out of your range and then sliding in either where you don't notice he's suddenly in range or countering. But he's really good at that. He's got some killer body work. In fact, I was sad in the... Uh, the fourth round, and the, and the fifth, actually, to a degree, he kind of got away from it, and it was a mistake, I think, tactically, because Moreno was hurt to the body. But uh, yeah, he will kill your organs with punches and kicks. He's got significant power. Uh, he's hard to take down. He's harder to hold down. If he gets on top of you, he is a damager. Uh, he's, he's, again, not unbeatable, but he is a definite monster to try and deal with. Uh, Moreno's chin, I... He ate some bombs in this fight, and I don't think he got dropped. He took some heavy body shots, he took some pretty serious leg kicks, uh, punched in the face a lot, his right eye was swelling up, I don't know that anything was broken, but uh, things started swelling, and didn't, you know, which... Doesn't help matters. He got the crap beat out of him, but he never went down. He kept fighting. Uh, won the third and fourth round. Uh, the fourth, definitively. The third, again, two of the judges gave him the third, hence the 10-8 with the point deduction in that round. Uh, it was a gutsy, gritty performance from Moreno, who is very young. Uh he did a lot of really good stuff. Uh, his counter game was pretty good. Figueredo either tends to throw uh, one or two punches and then just really and really overcommit on the last one, or he's got a pretty good, uh, you know, three to four punch combination that is designed to close distance. 
and then he separates and resets from there. Moreno was good about landing elbows on the break whenever they'd clinch. He was good about getting takedowns. Figueredo is really hard to take down in space, and uh, he's hard to take down. Let's say this: if you go after his legs, if you try to double leg him or single leg him, uh, that's going to be a real tough order in space or against the cage. Moreno was good about using either those as simple entries or getting it all the way into the into an upper body clinch. And then from there, either getting trips, uh, body locks, or dropping down on the hips once he was able to secure a much better, a, a more favorable angle and positioning with his hands. And that's a slightly different story. Uh, we talk about takedown defense as a blanket statement. And the reality is it's not. Uh, some people are good about stopping takedowns against the fence, but not as good in open space. Some people are really good at stopping double legs, not single legs. Some people are really good at stopping uh, upper body stuff, but struggle if you but struggle with a traditional double leg, especially a well-timed one. There's a, there's a lot of nuance to takedown defense. And to be clear, Figueredo is very good at all of it. But he's been taken down from the, that kind of chest-to-chest body lock position before. So it might be something for other people to pay attention to if you're looking for a weakness or an avenue of attack. Uh, fifth round, again, Figueredo closes strong enough to force the draw. Uh, great, great fight. I think post-fight Dana White said this was the best flight, the best fight in flyweight history. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to argue a compelling case against it. I, I mean... There have been some great flyweight fights. Uh, the first fight between Demetrius Johnson and John Dodson. Uh, forgotten a lot because the UFC would like you to forget Demetrius Johnson existed, but that's a great fight. Um, some of the, other ones. the first fight between DJ and Benavidez is a pretty good fight. Uh, I haven't watched it in a while, so I can't confirm the second fight between Cejudo and DJ. Uh... But you know, that might be up there. Uh, Benavides has had some really good ones. I think his fight with Dustin Ortiz was pretty crazy. Uh, there was a main event between um, it was like Moreno and Sergio Pettis that wasn't bad. But this, anyone saying this is the best, I'm not going to argue with you. That's a perfectly valid, uh, valid way to look at that. Uh, there's some questions about what's next in the event of after the draw. Uh, do we get an immediate rematch? Are both guys healthy enough after? Because this was a war, man. These two, especially turning around in three weeks to fight again. Uh, you know, my hat's off to both of these guys for that. A three-week turnaround for a five-round fight is tough enough to do that against the champion you know, in a title fight with the two best guys in the division going at it. That is tough. That is a tough ask, and both of these gentlemen answered the call, so serious kudos to them. <sighs> so, immediate rematch is... Dana White seemed all down for that. Uh, I wouldn't argue with that one single solitary bit, if that's what they're able to do. You've still got Cody Garbrandt floating around out there. Uh... He's certainly a factor to consider when we talk about the future of the flyweight division. Uh, 
But I think that's kind of it. I mean, let me go back to the original list. Um, you still have Joseph Benavidez. Oh, Askarov, because Askar Askarov is going to fight Joseph Benavidez. That's scheduled. Whew. That's a tough fight for both of those gentlemen. That is a really tough fight. If Askarov wins that, uh, he would certainly be deserving of a title shot. Uh, I mean, Askarov and Moreno fought to a draw in... Uh, it was Moreno's re-debut for the UFC and Askarov's debut. They fought to a tightly contested draw. That's the only guy... That's, uh, he hasn't lost. That's the only blemish on his record. Askarov is pretty legit. So if Askarov gets by Benavidez, absolutely a player who needs to be considered. Uh, below that, you got a lot of guys that are either coming up or just coming off of losses. But between a rematch with Moreno, Askarov potentially getting in there with a win over Benavidez, and Garbrandt trying to trying to debut in the division, uh, that'll keep that'll keep the the championship picture whether Figueredo is still champion or not. That'll keep that busy for a while. Uh, so, great, great fight. One of the fights of the year. Where exactly that's going to end up, I don't know. A lot of people are going to say fight of the year. And you're always going to... Recency bias is a thing. You guys remember a few years ago when Tony versus Tony Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis was voted like fight of the year by fans over Whitaker Romero 2? Because... <laughs> It happens. It happened closer to the end of the year and on a much more viewed pay-per-view. Those things matter. Uh, those kind of stats matter. So I don't know that this will be fight of the year for me. I mean, my I don't have my top. I don't even have my top five fully finalized. I have to go back and rewatch as many of these as I can. But if you'll consider for a moment the following list of fights that took place in 2020, that I have kind of on my short list that I'll be trying to figure out their ranking. Uh, Tony versus Gagey, which might wind up being a bit too one-sided to finish highly, but good lord, that fight. Uh, Joanna Jacek and Weili Zhang, which a lot of people still have as their fight of the year. Peter Yan and Jose Aldo was a great fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, a uh, brutal war. Uh, heck, I'm mentioning Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker and Paul Felder. God, that was a war. Uh, we have had some high-quality violence this year. And I, you now throw Figueredo and Moreno into that mix. I, I'm trying to figure out all that. And the, one of the things I like to do, I, to the extent that I can, I go back and I rewatch all of these fights uh, before finalizing my list. Because I, I try, I don't want, I should say I don't want, I want to minimize the recency bias as much as possible. I don't want the fact that something happened in January that was awesome. But because it happened, you know, 11, 12 months ago, I don't remember it as clearly, or it doesn't seem as fresh in my mind as something that happened yesterday. That seems unfair to everything awesome that happened in January. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to do some rewatching the next couple of weeks and figure that out. Uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun exercise again. We have had some great, great fights. So, great main event was your fight of the night. Um, somebody said this on Twitter, and my cynicism immediately kicked in. But I'm going to echo it. 
I hope the UFC paid Figueredo and Moreno their win bonuses. Now, I doubt they did, because they are not contractually obligated to. But after that fight, man, uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what Figueredo makes, but I imagine it's more than 50K for his, uh, is his split as champion. Uh, those two guys both deserve their win bonus for that fight. That was a remarkable fight. Serious kudos to both men. I think the only possible downside to the draw here might be that it, it might cost Davis and Figueredo Fighter of the Year for 2020. Because there was another guy on this card, we'll get to his fight in a minute, who has won five times, I believe, in 2020. Looks like that with Kevin Holland real fast. That's what I'm talking about here. Yeah, five fights, five wins. Uh, and this last one, I mean, look, some of those that he won, uh, I mean, I thought he lost, I thought he lost that Stewart fight. Sorry, five fights, five wins, four finishes. I thought he lost that Stewart fight, man. I really do. But he knocked the stuffing out of Jacare on this card, so he might be your fighter of the year. Uh We'll see. Again, there's a lot of I've I've got a list of potentials, and I've got to kind of parse down which fighter had the best year. It'd be that number of wins, type of wins, level of opposition. That all kind of figures into it. Visibility. Holland might have secured breakout star. Uh, that I don't know. That that's going to be a he and Kamzat Shemaev are kind of neck and neck on that one at the moment. Uh, Shemaev went from total unknown to a guy peop some people are overrating significantly. But certainly a relevant player. I mean, he was supposed to fight the top, one of the top five welterweights. Uh, so, gotta, I've got to kind of figure that out. But Figueredo might still be the fighter of the year for 2020. You know, four fights, three wins, one draw, becomes champion. The blemishes, again, he missed weight for that first fight with Benavidez, and here he got a draw instead of a win. A win he would have had if he hadn't kicked uh, Moreno in the groin. So, I mean, in that respect, it's on him. But we'll have to, I've got to figure that out. So, great fight, great main event. Uh, and kudos to both of those gentlemen. Remarkable performance. Co main event. Boy, did I... I did not see this coming. Not that Charles Oliveira won. That this happened the way it did. Charles Oliveira defeats Tony Ferguson via unanimous decision. 30-26 on all three scorecards. My scorecard was 30-26. More troubling, um, there's a real argument. There is an argument for 10-8s in every round. This was a one-sided fight. Uh, really one-sided. Um, I want to start with this. Um, Oliveira was able to get Tony down with a lot, uh, almost easily. Some of those were just, uh, Oliveira's body lock takedown. Very, very good. I think I mentioned that last week. Uh, and he got that a couple of times. His passing game was on point. Uh, and his 
His jiu-jitsu game, man, it is it is top top shelf for MMA. I mean, he passed through he passed around Tony like it was nothing. Uh, had him mounted. In the first round, he ends the round by going for an armbar. I uh, I have no earthly idea how Tony Ferguson did not tap. I mean, it's fully extended. It's locked out. He's invisible pain. He's not tapping, he's not tapping, he's not tapping. Oliveira gets a little bit deeper with his hips and puts the puts Tony's arm under his armpit. So instead of holding onto the wrist and then popping his hips up, it's still it's uh, you know, wrapping around the arm. It, uh, it's just the worst way, and I say worst, like painful. Like a fully locked out extended arm bar is bad. But when you if you're in a position to get that behind your own arm, it's it's done. It's over. Like, you've got nothing. The only thing that's going to happen is your arm's going to get broken. And his arm... His elbow did not look good, man. It looked like it popped the other direction. And then just... Because he's Tony Ferguson, he wasn't going to tap. If that, if that hold goes on for another five seconds... That arm probably does break to the point where the referee or the doctor has to stop the fight. Uh, but doesn't. He persists. Tony keeps fighting, but he just couldn't really stop Oliveira from taking him down. And Oliveira just constantly moving through dominant positions, occasionally attacking a submission. Uh, just a totally one-sided fight. Uh, Charles Oliveira is unequivocally a player in the lightweight division. I don't know how long he was, uh, how long the matchmaking was entirely his, you know, how much influence he had over that. He spent, I mean, if you look at, he's been in the UFC for 10 years, man. 10 years that guy's been in the UFC. Uh, fighting to improve his game, suffering losses, Spending too much time at featherweight. Way too much time at featherweight. Oof. But he's finally see he finally seems to have found himself. Um, one of the things I was I mentioned in this uh, in the in the build up to the uh, last week. Um, I I knew he was better on the ground in a pure jujitsu context than Tony. Part of my reticence, uh, I should say reticence, I don't think I was ever going to pick Oliveira here. Maybe I should have given more consideration to that. I I wasn't, su- I said last week, I wouldn't. I won't be surprised if Oliveira wins. And I'm not. I'm a little surprised at the manner. I'm a little surprised at how one-sided it was. But uh, the big thing that he showed off here that he hadn't really shown before was his control on the ground. Uh, he's He's, I mean, he's got the most submission wins in UFC history. He knows what he's doing down there. But if you look at some of the other stuff, it's a li- he would be a little bit too eager to pass. He'd be a little bit too anxious in attacking submissions and give up position. And that's kind of how, uh, I mean, when he fought Paul Felder, and Felder smashed him with elbows from the guard in the second round, he had Felder in a pretty tight Darce choke in the first. But his... Uh, you know, his desire to get the submission wound up costing him in some respects about the the position he was in overall and allowed Felder 
to both survive and then punish him badly <laughs> from full guard. Those elbows Felder landed on him, man, those were brutal. But he seems to have kind of adjusted his mentality a little bit here. There were a few different times when he could have attacked a sub and deliberately chose not to, either because he, he maybe he just felt something in what Tony was offering him that he didn't feel in other people and uh, made that conscious decision, or he might have been making the tactical decision. I'm not gonna. I'm going to be very. I'm going to be more judicious in my approach here. I mean, it clearly worked. Uh, easily the biggest win of his career. Uh, the title picture at flight. The entire title picture at lightweight is. Oh, it's so weird right now. It is really, really weird. We don't know if Khabib is still retired. He's going to be meeting with Dana White later this, uh, soon enough. Of, I should say later this week. Soon, apparently, there's going to be some kind of meeting. Uh, whether that whether that leads to Khabib coming back for one more fight, or a, uh, or some closure on him relinquishing the title and staying retired, or at least relinquishing the title, or you know, the, you know, the title not being his anymore. Uh, either way, we'll get a l we will hopefully get a little bit of clarity out of that. But you've got Poirier McGregor coming up in January. You've got Gaethje. I mean, there's a f they're talking about a fight between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler on that same card. As uh, that's not confirmed or anything, but uh, that might potentially be there as the co-main event in case something happens to Connor versus Poirier. So, uh, it's something to keep your eye on. That's not confirmed at this point. That's just kind of ideas that have been floated. Uh, so, you do have Michael Chandler in kind of out there in the ether. Uh, you've got Dan Hooker, still a very relevant player. And you have to include Oliveira in that conversation now. You just... He is. He is absolutely one of the very best lightweights in the world. I mean, nobody... Even when Gagey beat the crap out of Tony, uh, it wasn't this one-sided. You know, Tony had moments. He dropped Gagey with that uppercut at the end of the second. He was landing punches throughout the fight. Here, this was one-way traffic. Uh, big, big win for Oliveira. Uh, he's, he's certainly going to be a handful, whoever he fights. You're going to have your hands full with that guy. That does kind of bring us to Tony, though, and... Man, what do you say about Tony? I'm not about to write his career eulogy, let me be clear about that. But, for a guy who hadn't lost since, what, 2016, 2017? I think it was to Johnson. 12, good grief. I haven't lost since 2012. I meant six or seven years he hadn't lost. He hadn't lost like you know, seven years, give or take. Almost exactly, geez. He went May, so lost to Johnson May 5th of 12. Didn't lose until May 9th of 20. So technically a little over eight years undefeated. 12 fights. Beating some incredibly talented fighters. Insanely talented fighters. I mean, I'm going to read this 12-fight streak off to you. Mike Rio submitted him. Katsunori Kakuno knocked him out. Danny Castillo, decision. 
Abel Trujillo submitted him. Gleason Tebow submitted him. Josh Thompson, wide unanimous decision. Edson Barboza submitted him. Lando Venata submitted him. Rafael Dos Anjos, clear-cut decision over five rounds. Keith Lee submits him with a triangle choke. Anthony Pettis beats him so badly the corner stops it. Donald Cerrone, TKO doctor stoppage. Look at that run. That is an insane run. Uh, and now he's lost two in a row. First losing streak of his entire career. But he has lost... Oh, man. It almost sucks to say this. He has lost arguably eight rounds in a row. And if not eight rounds, he's lost seven of eight. And some of those lost rounds were by big margins. That's just not evidence you can ignore. He's also 36? He's going to be 37 in February. MMA is a brutal sport, man. I don't just mean in the cage. Uh, he's been in some wars. Not just the Gagey... I mean, not just the Gagey fight, which was a... I think we said it at the time. That beating is the kind of beating that will alter your career. Whether it will or not with Tony, that is the kind of beating that does alter careers. He took some he took some bad beatings along the way in that winning streak, man. He, he Kevin Lee put some damage on him. Pettis dropped him, Venata head kicked him, Barboza did some damage. Uh, to his eternal credit, he persevered through all that, but that bill comes due always. And to be coming up on 40 in a division that is not heavyweight or light heavyweight. I mean, even light heavyweight by the time you hit 40, that's kind of when you're starting to age out. At a lightweight, uh, you, you just don't see guys in their 40s having success at, at the top of the division. That's, uh, yeah, that's rough, man. It, Miles catch up to you, years catch up to you, and the game catches up to you. MMA evolves at such a rapid pace that even someone like Tony, who established himself as this top-shelf figure, the game catches up. Everyone else gets better. And you can only improve so much. It sucks. It's a... And again, I am not trying to write the man's career eulogy here. He will probably, if he stays in the UFC, and I expect he will, he will probably win again. He's certainly a good enough fighter. But I think his title aspirations might kind of be done. That bad loss to Gaethje and this bad loss to Oliveira. Um, again, not, not saying definitively, but that's a tough... That's going to be a tough road back to the title if he does make it. Just going to say that. That is a that is a tough road he's going to have to walk if he if he gets back there. Very tough. The fact that Tony Ferguson never fought for the undisputed UFC title is a tragedy. Sometimes of his own making. 
Uh, probably more often than not, not of his own making. And some of it was his. Look, there's a degree of culpability we all have in what happens to us. How much? Depends on circumstance to circumstance, but we do. Uh, there's times when he should have fought for the belt, and the UFC's matchmaking priorities did him dirty. Sometimes he was injured, but he should have. The fact that he didn't is a tragedy in that respect, because he should have. I mean, I, I don't believe that his fight with Khabib was cursed in some kind of supernatural sense. God did not say, no, there will not be a fight between these two. But, man. And you can't even get... It, I don't think it's reasonable to get mad at either guy. At, at anyone. I should say either guy. Anyone. I, I mean, they made that fight five times. Tony Ferguson signed on the dotted line five times. Khabib Nurmagomedov signed on the dotted line five times. The sanctioning body sanctioned it five times. The UFC made it five times. They were just injuries. They each got injured once. Medical issues. They each had a medical issue once. Uh, Khabib had a weight-cutting issue once. Tony had that lung issue once. And then you had a freaking pandemic. I mean, there's not anything that could have been done without the benefit of hindsight on the part of both guys. I mean, if you tell Tony, hey, by the way, at this inter at this television interview you're going to do, take your sunglasses off and watch for the wires. I'm sure he would. Well, Tony's weird enough, but I'm, I believe he would. You tell him, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to trip over these wires, blow out your knee. I'm sh he might be a little bit out there, but I think he is fundamentally reasonable enough to with forewarning on something like that, take the preventative measures. If you tell Khabib at uh, one of those, you know, your weight cut's going to be, you're going to have these medical issues related to your weight cut. Here's a few things you can do to avoid that. I'm sure he would. But you don't have hindsight in the moment. Uh, uh, it just sucks. I don't know what you do next with Tony. There's plenty of lightweights for him to fight. I mean, lightweight is a killer division. Uh, you got Dan he might wind up fighting because let me see you've got Diego Fajaya and uh, Fajaya's fighting God why is his name escaping me I am just completely blanking on his name Where where is he on the rankings he should be ranked Daryush Benil Daryush I'm pretty sure that fight's on uh, you've got Makashev and Drew Dober. You know, you could get... Tony versus Makashev could be a really good fight. Uh, who would say no to you know Tony Ferguson and Paul Felder throwing down? Anyone going to complain about that? I'm not. I'm certainly, I'm certainly not. But it's just not going to be... I don't know that he's ever going to get to that title picture. And it just it's a, it just sucks. Uh, so huge win for Oliveira. Uh, potentially backbreaking one for Tony. Uh, let's see. Moving on, we can probably go a little bit quicker through the rest of these. Mackenzie Dern defeated uh, Virna 
Genji Roba via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, Dern made this a little bit harder on herself than she needed to. Uh, her hands, her striking game has come up considerably, and then just but when Genji Roba caught her a couple of times with punches, she got brawling, kind of trying to get it back, and that did not service her overall game plan. Uh, this was probably the worst fight on the card, but that's more about how great the rest of them were. Uh, Kevin Holland, who might be your 2020 fighter of the year, knocks out Jacare Souza 145 of the first with punches basically from his butt. Uh, Jacare got a quick takedown, which is usually bad news. Holland defended himself well, got, got up, got taken down again, got full guard, and just found an opening to land a... I mean, when I say in full guard, Jacare was not... You know, all the way on him. He was kind of sitting up, uh, a little bit on his knees, looking to for an opportunity to pass. And Holland just found an opening in his defense, hit him with a right hand, and rocked him, got up, pounded him out. Uh, this is probably the last we'll see of Jacare in the UFC. Uh, with the roster cuts coming, him being over 40, this was, I think, three in a row for him. He's probably done in the UFC. Uh, another guy who's... The fact that he never fought for the title is a tragedy. More a travesty in this case, because I think he was actively screwed by the UFC. Uh, he really should have fought for that belt. But Kevin Holland, man. Five, t five fights in 2020, five wins. Four of those definitive. One he should have lost, but what are you going to do? The judges saw it his way. That's not his fault, you know? Uh, he's a player all of a sudden, you know. Uh, he's he's going to be a relevant factor in that division. Uh, and kicking off the main card, Cyril Gaon defeated Junior Dos Santos via TKO 234 of the second with a really nice elbow strike. Uh, Gaon was able to just keep JDS at kicking distance and kind of did some damage there to the legs and body. Into the second round, landed a really stiff jab uh, from Southpaw that kind of rocked JDS, got him along the fence line. Elbow, down, finish. Uh, JDS thought the elbow was to the back of the head. It kind of was. Uh, it was very borderline. It's I'm okay with the decision being you know, not being a DQ or a no contest because JDS was kind of turning as that blow was coming. And the one of the rules is if you start a strike aimed at a legal target and the opponent moves so it's now illegal, uh, that's a bit more on them, especially as it comes to back-of-the-head stuff. I do think we need some kind of more consistent application of rules about what constitutes the back-of-the-head, because somebody's going to get hurt badly if we keep letting stuff like this go. I, again, not, not saying this was a bad call. But we've really got to be a bit more diligent uh, from a, in this with stuff in this area because somebody's going to catch an elbow to the wrong spot and wind up paralyzed. Uh, obviously, it's the biggest win of Gon's career thus far. Uh, Gon's a relevant factor at heavyweight. See, as for the prelims, Cub Swanson defeated Daniel Pineda via knockout, 152 of the second. I thought Pineda had this, man. 
he was doing great. He was chopping up. He was chewing up Cubs' legs, landing some good shots, but he just started hanging around in the pocket too long, and Swanson is fast and not someone you can trifle with. Uh, Swanson winds up stopping him in the second. A much-needed win for Swanson. I know he was coming off of one, but he'd lost four or five in a row. He would have been on the chopping block if he lost here. I think he mentioned that, and I think we all knew it. So, uh, Needed win for Swanson. Good for him. Um, Rafael Fiziev. Man, he knocked out Hinato Moicano 405 of the first. One of the most beautiful combinations you'll see. He steps in close, left to the body, right to the head, delays just a little bit as Moicano pulls back, and then left hook to the jaw, drops him. Uh, does he have a fast kicker? His defense takes a little bit to get going. He needs to get reads on you. Because uh, Moicano hit him a few, uh, a fair few times, actually. Some pretty good jabs. Uh, Fiziev's combination work also, once he commits to them, he doesn't tend to deviate. So there's openings to counter him there. Moicano caught him a few times there. But ultimately, you strike with that man at your peril. He is not just a striker in the I'll knock you out sense. He is a very, very technically sound uh, striker. So technically sound. And once he gets a read on you defensively, you have a really hard time hitting him. Uh, that dude is a problem at lightweight. Uh, Gavin Tucker defeated Billy Quarantillo via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Good fight here. Quarantillo, very awkward. Uh, rather than that playing to his strength, Tucker was able to be the better technician. These two beat the crap out of each other to the body. Uh, Ultimately, Tucker was able to get some takedowns when he needed them, fight smoother on the feet more technically, and just kind of be a little, uh, you know, a step or two above Quarantilla right now. Tucker, uh, you know, he had a, he, he's good, and uh, he had some hype, but he's, what, 34? He does not have time to play around. I mean, he debuted in the UFC in 2017, went one and one, had a bad beating against Rick Glenn, really bad. He missed all of 18, only fought once in 19. He doesn't have time to play around. If he's going to make a run, he's got to, that's got to be a concerted effort on his part going, going forward because uh, featherweight does not reward age. Uh, let's see. Tisha Torres defeated Sam Hughes via doctor stoppage between rounds one and two. Hughes took this fight on about a week's notice, and it showed. Torres just beat the crap out of her. Uh, uh, not uh, Nothing else to say there. And kicking everything off, Chase Hooper defeated Peter Barrett via heel hook, 302 of the third. Chase Hooper's striking is bad. Uh, really bad. And Barrett beat him up for two and a half rounds. And then Hooper uh, Hooper had secured a couple of other, uh, like, Imanori rolls or you know, leg entanglement positions, but was never able to really get anything going. Finally, towards the end, uh, he gets one, uh, gets an Imanori roll, uh, gets into the leg entanglement position. Uh, I think it's called a Sotogari. Might be misremembering that. 
or I'm confusing my Japanese terminology because I do not speak Japanese. Uh, tries for the inside heel hook first, doesn't really get it, isn't deep enough, swaps to the other side, is able to scoot his hips closer, gets the heel hook, forces the tap. Um, Hooper's lack of striking acumen is going to cost him dearly. Uh, sooner rather than later. But I'm a sucker for a good heel hook. This was a pretty good heel hook. Uh, not a whole lot else to say there. Hooper is very one-dimensional, and not just very one-dimensional in the sense that this is my strength. Damian Maya was always, you know, a jujitsu guy. But he got competent enough in the striking to not be a heavy bag. Chase Hooper's striking is, like, almost dangerously bad in some respects. That said, Hooper's very young. If he's putting in the work, it will, it will wind up showing. And he will hopefully improve. But that was it. That was UFC 256. Great. I mean, look at that. Look at that card. Look at those results. This was what. This was, I think, if we, you know, top to bottom, one of the better events all year. Uh, the fights that went the distance were always engaging. The fights that had finishes were not just boring until there was a finish. Uh, if I did a card of the year, this would be very high on that list, and again, maybe recency bias, so I'd have to go back through some of the others, but as I sit here, certainly one of the best of the year. Uh, really, really good card, really, really good fights. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much to everyone who followed along with my live coverage or read the report after the fact uh, that's up in the uh, MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please go read that if you... If you just listen to the show and you don't read that, I'm, uh, I'd be very curious about that. But if you do, if that is you, please just go click on it at least once. Help me out. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, almost to the end of the year. Almost there. Almost there. Next week, UFC on ESPN Plus 41 will be our final UFC event for the year of 2020. And they just had to throw 15 fights on this card. Alright, um... There are some good fights on this card. So I'm, I'm gonna try not to go too deep into, any, into these, but there's some stuff worth talking about here. Um, main event. What's the, this was originally going to be... It's gonna be Shemaev and Leon Edwards, yeah. Then Edwards got a particularly bad case of, of COVID, apparently. I think it was uh, Brett Okamoto who reported he lost, like, 14 pounds. Might have been 11 pounds. Let me find that. I really should have had that. Uh, okay, yeah, he lost 12 pounds in four days. That's pretty... That's rough, especially if you're, you know, any kind of athlete. If you have, if you have that kind of weight loss over that time period, that's rough. Uh, so yeah, that fights off. Unfortunately, plenty of other quality fights on this card. New main event: Stephen Thompson and Jeff Neal. I am torn on this fight. Um, look, Stephen Thompson just you know, just broke a two-fight losing streak. He was looking really good against Anthony Pettis before he got knocked out. I mean, 
I thought he was having his way with Pettis a little bit, and then Pettis hits, uh, you know, a Superman punch. Good on him. Knocks him out. Beat Vicente Luque's last time out. I thought he beat Darren Till. I still don't get some of the scoring for that fight. But Thompson is also 37. And uh, that's not something to sneeze at. Um, whereas Jeff Neal, only 30, uh, undefeated in the UFC. He's, what, 5-0? and Uh Four of those are finishes. Uh, he's stopped ne- both Nico Price and Mike Perry. Head kicked Frank Camacho. Uh, this is a step up for Neil, but he's no one to take lightly. I think I am actually going to pick Jeff Neal here. It feels a little weird, but I think I am. Uh, won't be surprised if Thompson wins. This is five rounds, though. Does that change anything? The fact that it's five rounds, I think, will make me less surprised at a Thompson victory. Uh, if this were only three rounds, I would, I would pick, I would be a little bit uh, more confident picking Neil. Because I don't think Neil's ever fought five rounds, has he? I know not in the UFC, but. Uh, if he ever did have a title fight outside the UFC, it ended before the fourth round. So. I'm, uh. Yeah, I'm still going to pick Neil for whatever my pick is worth, but that is a really, really good fight. All right, speaking of really good fights, co-main event, Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera. This is a really good fight. Uh, Aldo coming off of that. He's on a three-fight losing streak, man. Now, in fairness, one of those was to Volkanovski, current champion at featherweight. One of those was his TKO loss in the title fight to Peter Yan, current bantamweight champion. And a split decision with Marlon Moraes. Could have gone his way. I scored it for Marais, for the record. But, you know, Marais also one of the better bantamweights, so he's not losing to scrubs. But a three-fight losing streak is bad for anybody. Uh, and Vera, coming off of one of the bigger wins of his career when he stopped Sean O'Malley. Um, I mean, think about this for Vera for just a second. His only... He's been in the UFC for a while. He debuted with a loss to Marco Beltran. Bounced back, lost to Davy Grant, winning streak, lost to John Lineker, lost to Douglas Silva de Andrade. Those two fights, one in 2017, one in 18, those are his last losses at bantamweight. Since then, he beat Luigi Burin, Guido Canetti, Frankie Sainz, Noelin Hernandez, Andre Ewell, and Sean O'Malley. Prior to the O'Malley fight, he fought Song Yudong up at featherweight, Lost a decision, but that was a very close fight. <laughs> uh, Vera is a legitimate fighter. I oh God, I hate picking against Jose Aldo. I think I did in the yawn fight because that made sense to me. But 
These two, this is going to be a this this has action written all over it. I am still going to pick Aldo, but you know, I'm if Aldo loses here, goes to four in a row. Aldo's only 34. He's only 34. Good grief. But if Aldo drops four in a row here, given his contentious relationship with the UFC in the past, might be one of those guys they let go. I would be a little bit surprised, but it's something to keep in mind. We have a welterweight fight between Michelle Pereja and Chaos Williams. Uh, this fight has just insanity written all over it. Uh, Perea coming off of that win over Zalimi Medayev. One of his better performances, actually, in terms of just, you know, top to bottom. Uh, I mean, he beat the crap out of Diego Sanchez before landing that illegal knee. Diego Sanchez apparently looking for an exit from the UFC in the near future. I can't wait for him to show up in bare knuckle, because you know he will. Uh, whereas Williams, I think he won his last fight. Because he debuted had a, a kind of an upset win over a guy people were kind of high on. And... Because he had that, yeah, kind of upset win. Uh, yeah, Alex, am I confusing him with someone else? I think I am. I'm confusing him with Kama Worthy, who I think did lose his last fight. Uh, Williams here debuted in a big way when he knocked out uh, Alex Morono in 30, 27 seconds, knocked out Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in 30 seconds exactly. I'm going to pick Williams here. That man is uh, he is a destroyer, but if he gets a little bit sucked into Pereja's weirdness, uh, Pereja could you know, prove to be the test that we're kind of waiting for Williams to have to go through. Another bantamweight fight, Marlon Marais and Rob Font. I'm gonna pick Marais here, but this is a this is a kind of an acid. Uh, this is a crossroads test for Marais. Uh, Font's on a two-fight winning streak. Decisions over Ricky Simone and Sergio Pettis. I had a tough fight with Rafael Sal before that. Uh, that he acquitted himself well in. Knocked out Thomas Almeida before that. Uh, Font's a tough out. He's technical. He's got a good gas tank. Uh, Marais coming off of that loss to Corey Sandhagen. I'm still annoyed that I am still a little bit annoyed that Aldo got the title shot after lose after losing to Marais. Not that I think Marais would have beaten Peter Yan. I would have favored Yan over either of them. I think at least. But uh, I'm gonna pick Marais here, but. If he drops this one, uh, that that would be a very, very bad signal for his career at the moment. There's a heavyweight fight, because of course there is. Marcin Tabora and Greg Hardy. Um, Tabora should win this. He is a much better fighter. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Wins over Sergei Spivak, Maxim Grishin, Ben Rothwell. I mean, Tabora's only losses in the UFC. He had a loss in his debut to Timothy Johnson. Went on a three-fight winning streak. Lost to Verdun. Lost to Derek Lewis. He was winning that Lewis fight, too. Lost to Abdurahimov and lost to Augusto Sakai. Uh, those are, apart from Johnson, those other four, that's some fairly high-level stuff. I mean, I know we all kind of joke about Abdurahimov, but 
Dude knew how to win. And Sakai, isn't Sakai a top heavyweight at the moment? I had a rough, he lost to Overeem. Sakai ranked? He might be ranked, because, you know, heavyweight. Yeah, Sakai's still number nine. Abdurakimov is eight. Okay, so those losses, you know, Verdum, former champion, Lewis, currently number four, and then numbers eight and nine in the contender list. Tabora's not losing to people who don't really know what they're doing. Hardy, I mean, he, you know, did okay. Looked, I think he looked okay against Green. Not great, but okay. Uh, Tabor should win this by all rights. Welterweight fight between Anthony Pettis and Alex Morono. Man, Pettis might not be much longer for the UFC. Morono is four and one in his last five. That one loss to the aforementioned Chaos Williams. Uh, Pettis, Pettis is only thirty-three. But he's got, you know, 33 fights. Uh, he's coming off of a win over Cerrone, but uh, A, that was a very competitive fight. And before that, you know, got beat up by Nate Diaz, got beat up and submitted by Carlos Diego Fajaya, got beat up pretty badly by Stephen Thompson before scoring the knockout, got, had some moments against Tony Ferguson, but got cut to ribbons. Uh... He's just not really. Yeah, I'm not gonna pick. I'm not gonna pick Anthony Pettis here. He might win, but welterweight is not his division. It is Morono's division. Morono is, in fact, a legitimate welterweight. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't pick Pettis here. That is right now your main card, assuming uh, some of the, my listings here are accurate. Uh, As for the rest of these, let's see, Bilal Muhammad and Diego Lima, that's a pretty good fight, actually. Uh, Muhammad is a tough out. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Um, and Diego Lima, Diego Lima finally seems to have found himself. He's also on a three-fight winning streak. He's had three split, two split decisions his last, <laughs> his last two fights. Uh... He's been out for a while, too, over a year. He last fought in October of 19. Yeah, pick Muhammad. Uh, Sajara Eubanks and Panny Kianzad. I don't care. Kianzad won her last two. Eubanks, I think, won her last... Uh, lost to Ketlin Viejar last time out. I'll pick Eubanks, but eh. At a special catch weight of 195 pounds, Duran Wynn and Antonio Arroyo off of Arroyo very quickly. Nine and three. He's fought in the UFC before. Uh, yeah, lost to Andre Muniz. Then has had three canceled fights since then for a variety of reasons. Um, Wynn needs the... He needs this pretty badly. He's lost two in a row. I'm gonna pick Wynn, but... I, I am not confident in that. Bantamweight, Eamon Zahabi is finally back. He's been out for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, over a year, almost two. Last fought in 
He's taking some pretty serious time off. He got badly knocked out by uh, by Ricardo Hamos in November of 17. Didn't fight again until May of 19. Lost. Now December of 12. Darko Rodriguez. I do not remember too much about this gentleman. Or Draco, excuse me. He's fought in the UFC at least once. I remember the nickname. Mistaken? Am I confusing him with someone else? It might be. Now this is his debut. Okay. Uh, I will actually pick Rodriguez. I'm not terribly high on Sahavi. It was a middleweight fight between Nafan and Chukwi and Jamie Pickett. Is what is that flag? A Cameroon. Uh, he's undefeated, coming off of a contender series win. Pickett is 11 and 4. Load. Also coming off a contender series win. He's fought a few times in the contender series. Lost two of them. Won the most recent one. Uh, sure, Pickett. Why not? Lightweight Rick Glenn and Carlton minus. I feel okay picking Glenn here. Not great, but feel okay about it. Um, Minus has fought in the UFC, I think, once. Yeah, lost to Matthew Semmelsberger. Yeah, I'll pick Glenn. Alright, uh, we also have a few fights. I don't think their bout order has been completely finalized. Flyweight fight between Jimmy Flick and Cody Durden was supposed to take place a couple of weeks ago. Or at 256. I can't remember which one. Probably 256. Uh, I'm okay picking Flick there. Women's flyweight, Jillian Robertson and Tylus Santos. I actually kind of like Santos here. And then Carl Robertson and Dolce Lungiambula, they were supposed to fight at 256. Not a bad fight for action. Pretty confident picking Robertson. Uh, much more technical fighter than Lungiambula, but Lungiambula hits very, very hard. So, that's the event. Again, 15 fights right now. Heaven help us. It's going to be a long night. But I will have you covered from start to finish Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so please do stop by, say hello. I appreciate whatever support you guys can give me. That always, always means a lot. Okay, let's jump into some news here. Uh, let's start with this. The Chechen dictator, Ramzan Kadyrov, has been sanctioned by the United States government. This prevents... Um, this is not just him, it's uh, his fight team, his fight promotion, because he is majority, I believe he's majority owner of ACA. Uh, this stops all American uh, business from taking place with him, from being able to receive funds from him or his, or his subsidiaries. Uh, this is a big deal for a lot of fighters. Uh, there's a handful of managers that have fairly close ties to Kadyrov. There's some fighters that have been seen with him. Um, some of them, I mean, you can look up on Kadyrov's human rights abuses on your own time. I'm not going to go into detail here. But there's a lot of them, uh, and they've been fairly well documented. Uh, a lot of fighters have kind of been seen either doing business with his promotions uh, with him personally for some of them you look some of Kadyrov's genuine worldview might line up with some of these fighters 
I don't. I I'm not trying to ins. I I'm not trying to besmirch anyone. Okay, I'm not trying to slander anyone. I'm just going to throw it out there. Kadyrov again is kind of a dictator. Not kind of. He's a dictator. And but he is not. Um, say this I don't think he is wholly unpopular maybe is the right way to say that uh, so there might be people again in the MMA space or others that agree with him on a lot of stuff I don't know that to be true but I'm not gonna say that it's certainly it's outside the realm of possibility there's also a lot of fighters that if they live in that part of the world Chechnya, Dagestan, any, any place where he has political influence, where you have to make a consideration when someone with that kind of power and that kind of history says, oh, you're a fighter. I am a fan of combat sports. I would love to, you know, why don't you take a picture with me? You have to make an assessment about how you're saying no to this gentleman would impact you, your friends, and your family in a very life-or-death way. And that, that's just a real consideration you have to make. And it's easy for a lot of us to, you know, armchair moralize about this. But, um, that's just all, that's what it is. It's armchair moralizing until you are the one who has to make that consideration. When a man that you know has tortured people to death, in some cases participated, not just ordered. This Again, this has been reported. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been essentially confirmed. When that man comes up to you with a smile because he likes your profession, is a fan of yours as a fighter, and you live in that region, are you really going to be the one who's going to, you know, call, very could very well cause the death of your family? Uh, again, we all like to think we would. We, we all, for some reason... I would like to think that we'd have that kind of you know, moral courage, courage and fortitude. I tend to imagine the majority of humanity would do the pragmatic thing, however distasteful that is. Uh, and that sucks. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but I'm not going to... There's just a degree of reality that you have to take into consideration for certain fighters who do that. For other fighters, not so much. You know, when uh, someone like Fabricio Verdum or Frankie Edgar is seen kind of palling around with him, I I consider that a lot differently than, you know, someone like Khabib or, because uh, he's the most prominent example, but you know, any of those guys from that region. Um, this is also a big, it's a big deal for fighters, who, for any Americans who might be fighting for ACA or thinking about it. Now, that's not really a thing you can do. This will probably affect third-party donations. Um, a lot of, man, again, there's some managers who, have, who are either friendly with this, with Kadyrov, or you know, have acted as kind of intermediaries for him providing financial uh, gifts or the like to MMA fighters. That's probably going to stop. Uh, if you want more on this, Kareem Zidane, uh, the journalist, has been doing, has been reporting on this for a long time. Uh, he is absolutely worth a follow on the subject. Uh, 
his work on it is exemplary. But this is uh, this is a big deal for a lot of fighters. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. But from a pure human rights standpoint, the sanctions from the United States have been overdue. Uh, the question of whether or not other places will follow remains. Uh, the United States, the U.S. Uh, sanctioned China over their, their treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. You know, they're essentially you know, putting them in concentration camps. Uh, whether or not other parts of the free world follow suit remains to be seen, but the State Department has sanctioned Kadyrov. And for a chunk of MMA, that's that's something we should be paying attention to. We're going to have to see how those waters are navigated. But yeah, that's a pretty big deal, so thought we'd touch on that briefly. Uh, another big piece of news, this time on the litigation front. Uh, the judge who has been hearing the uh, kind of the appeals or the early stuff related to the antitrust lawsuit currently set against the UFC. Uh, there were two types of class certifications that were being sought as or that were being ruled on. One uh, identity class and bout class. Um, the identity class was seeking damages related to their likeness being used and not being properly compensated. I mean that's a very very dumbed down version of it. But I, I'm speaking in very dumbed-down terms here because I am not a lawyer, and if I was, I would not specialize. I probably would not specialize in this area of the law. So, uh, a lot of layman terms being thrown around here. We're just gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> um, that one was rejected. The bout class, however, has been certified by the judge in question. This was the bigger claim financially. Uh, this tune. The, the damages that could potentially be handed down here might be in the billions. Uh, not tens of billions, but you might see a one to two billion dollar damage assessment here, depending on what's uh, what's found out. Now, this is preliminary. This is going to be appealed, or it has to be reviewed, or, well, sort of reviewed, by the Ninth Circuit. Uh, that would be the, ninth, the Federal Ninth Circuit. One of the things about the Ninth Circuit, um, in other circuits related to this are would be required to hear arguments. Uh, the ninth does not. The ninth can simply read the uh, the other judge's opinion, the other judge's ruling, and then decide not to hear anything and just go, "Yeah, this is correct. Move on." So there, uh, whether or not the ninth circuit will do that or not remains to be seen, but that is an option. Um, if the ninth circuit does not overturn this ruling. That drastically increases the likelihood of some kind of settlement from uh, the UFC. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, if this, if the, if they are certified as a class, and this continues going to trial, one, the damages again, we could be looking at a one billion dollar plus damage, uh, damage valuation. That is a massive amount of money. Two. This could lead to fighters being categorized a class for the purposes of uh, either unionization or uh, collective bargaining agreements, etc. that the UFC obviously does not want. Third, and this is a little bit more squirrely, and it gets into kind of the legal language and case law, there's a lot of case law on monopolies. 
for those uh, a monopoly for those of you who don't know is when there is only one seller of a product uh, there's and there's a lot of case law in the United States about monopolies what qualifies what doesn't uh, the UFC is uh, uh, sorry there's other there's lawsuits right now being brought against various big tech companies by states and the federal government. I think Facebook is being sued by 48 of the 50 states and then the federal government as well. A few other places like that are currently being sued uh, on uh, these kind of, again, antitrust, monopolistic settings. Um, so a lot of case law on that. There's not as much case law, in fact, very, very little on what the UFC is, which is not a, mono a monopoly, but a, a monopsony. The difference being uh, a monopoly, only one seller. A monopsony, only one buyer. And the argument in this case being that the UFC is essentially the only buyer, the only market for high-level MMA talent. Now, you can argue, uh, look, I know there's other promotions in the world, but if you look at, and I don't think this is very much in dispute, the UFC owns 80-some-odd percent of the top-end MMA talent in the world. I I don't really, that, that like, 85-ish number. You can find great fighters outside the UFC. That's not the point. You can find, you know, Ryan Bader, much as I joke about him. Top-shelf heavyweight, top-shelf light heavyweight. Demetrius Johnson. Now fights at bantamweight, but fights at one. But unequivocally, one of the better guys in the world. Uh, you've got Douglas Lima. Certainly one of the best welterweights in the world. Uh, will you put him in the top, you know, five? Up for debate, but not the point. One of the top five welterweights in the world outside the UFC. Uh, you can find them, but what percentage of the total top-end MMA market does the UFC own? It's not just the majority, it is the vast majority. 80, that 80 to 85% number, maybe even higher, depending on, how, depending on how liberally you wish to define elite talent, they own it. That's it. They're the buyer. And there's just not a lot of case law on what constitutes on, on monopsony from a legal standpoint. And what kind of trickle-down effect that might have onto other businesses even, other industries, is unknown. Uh, that's kind of what might be facing down Facebook. If you wanted to argue Facebook is a monopsony for the, uh, in that particular social media space, you could in fact argue that quite convincingly, I think. So, remains to be seen, but we have class certification at the moment, whether that holds up under appeal to the Ninth Circuit, what that means going forward, Still a lot of stuff to go. Lawsuits like this take time. But uh, to the extent that we have this at the moment, that is a big, big win for the UFC. Or not for the UFC. For the plaintiffs in this case. Um, actually, funny point. Um, the, the removal of the identity class, the lack of certification there, does remove Nate Quarry as one of the plaintiffs. He did... He did not compete in the UFC during the time for the during the window for the bout class certification. But uh, step forward, big win for the plaintiff thus far. Uh, still a lot of time to go. Still a lot of you know 
evidence to be presented. We'll have to see. Uh, yeah. If that stands up, the probability of settlement goes up dramatically. Don't expect that number to be disclosed, whatever it happens to be. Uh, whatever, I imagine there will be some kind of NDA for the disclosure, for the amount, if that's legal. Um, which it might be, and that, that gets a little bit squirrely sometimes, but it's not terribly uncommon for, you know, undisclosed amount of money in settlements. But this also might be required to be disclosed, so, again, not a legal expert on the area. But that... That's uh, something we should be pay we'll be paying attention to going forward. As always, um, the guy at Twitter, his handle is Hey Not the Face. He's been doing a lot of work on this, uh, covering this. So he should be your go-to guy for information on this particular subject. And since we have crossed the one-hour mark, I think that will be it. After I check Twitter one more time and see if anything crazy has happened in the realm of MMA. Let's see. Nope. Nothing in the insane range of MMA stuff. So let us move on to plugs. Uh, again, you can find my coverage of UFC 256 in the full report in the MMA zone. You will find me Saturday talking, uh, covering UFC on ESPN plus 41. Um... Schedule is kind of shifting. Let's see, today is the 13th. Um, I don't think I will have anything until after the 20th. Yeah, doesn't look like I have anything else in terms of uh, uh, podcast or whatnot that I have to get into, so... Yeah, that's going to be it. Uh, I don't know when I did an episode of the Star Trek retrospective that David Wright's hosting, and we talked about the new, the Next Generation movies. That's currently being edited down. I don't know when it's being released, but I will let you know when it drops. If you if you liked my contributions to the discussion of the original movies that we had, it's just the two of us for this one because everyone else crapped out on us because I am dependable. If nothing else, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And if no one else is willing to do it, I will. Case in point, Friday night, you can find me covering SmackDown in the wrestling zone of 411 Mania. Um, yeah. For those of you who may not know, that's kind of how I got that gig. Uh, no one else wanted it. So, you can find me there. My thoughts on professional wrestling. Whether you agree or disagree, most people seem to disagree and think I suck. But that's also nothing new. Uh, we'll be, you can find me there, if you're so inclined. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Movie reviews will be coming back after the after Christmas. Uh, we'll have reviews for both Soul and Wonder Woman, both of which are dropping on Christmas. Those will be coming shortly after they drop over on the Rattles Broadcasting Network, the subgroup of the W2M Network for all your podcasting needs. And that's going to be it for me this week, I think. I will find you guys back here next week when we review UFC ESPN Plus 41. And I think that's all we'll be doing. I think the way the week schedule laid out, we'll be back on the 20th for that. 
There's nothing on the 26th. That's the day after Christmas. And then not the 2nd of January. We might get a week off. Holy crap. Or the 9th. Because the next event is the 16th. That's the second week of January. Holy crap. I don't know what I'll do with myself. That's not a lie. I do. Um, if anything major happens here, we'll have an episode proper. If not, I will find something. Uh, I might do one of those that will... I might, in fact, for one of those weeks, just I don't know, maybe do a year in review. My year in review column will be up at around that point, so maybe. Or I will do some kind of other... Uh, fighter piece. I kind of enjoy doing those. You know what? I, I will ask you people as well. My Twitter handle is at WinfreeMMA, W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. If you have a topic you'd like to hear me talk about, if you have any suggestions like that, I'm happy to take them. If you have an idea for a show, or, you know, some, I was doing those kind of fighter profiles for a while. Uh, when we had the, that stretch of, you know, five weeks when there was nothing. So, maybe you like one of those. If you have a fighter you'd like to see, something like that. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, yeah, so, if you have any ideas, thoughts, please let me know. Happy to take them. Uh, that's going to wrap us up here. Thank you all very, very much. Uh, happy Hanukkah to those that are celebrating that. I believe it started recently. Uh, yeah, a couple of days ago, in fact. Uh, to those of us... Uh, Christmas not so for a couple of weeks, but enjoy the season nonetheless. Please stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and be